This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Good morning and welcome to the November 24th edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. Uh, This is Brian Schrader, agronomist in East Central Indiana, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Ben Jacob from Southern Indiana and Carl Joran from Western Indiana. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brian. Doing well. We've got a treat today. Definitely so. We're going to uh, bring back one of the guests that we had early on in the podcast. We're uh, pleased to be able to have Dr. Mary Gums join us this morning. Mary, uh, it's good to have you with us this morning. Thanks for joining us again. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. Well, guys, we've got a really fun topic, I think, to talk about that really, from a pioneer perspective, we're just into the early part of getting introduced uh, to our customers and to folks out in the countryside. And it's, it's an exciting time with everything we've got going on in Pioneer, but this is just one more thing that we get to add to that. And Mary, you're most definitely our subject matter expert on this right now. And so we wanted to have you on this morning so that we could introduce the Pioneer Yield Pyramid to our growers and to our listeners for those that haven't heard about it. And so I guess first things first, uh, maybe remind us a little bit about your position and your background, and then maybe give us just the elevator speech for the yield pyramid to start with. Okay, well, thanks again, Brian, for having me on this morning. And so my name is Mary Gums. I am the agronomy manager for the Eastern Corn Belt for Pioneer. So I'm part of our agronomy sciences team, um, but I'm really attached to the to the field commercial business. So I get to be uh, out, out in fields and, and with customers an awful lot. And so I cover uh, the Eastern Corn Belt. So I have a uh, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and everything north and east of there. And I really work a lot with the field agronomists like you three and the, the field agronomists uh, across the Eastern Corn Belt. We've got 39 of them and just help to coordinate and lead our on-farm uh, field research that's, that's going on. Uh, one of the really exciting parts of my job is just all the plots that we do and all the great times that customers allow us on, our, on their farms uh, to put out a plot, do a little research, and learn a little bit more about agronomy. So it's it's a very fun job. I love my job. Um, I live in Northwest Indiana, and before I took this role, I was actually the product agronomist for Northwest Indiana. So uh, that's that's the part of the country I love the best. But I've learned so much across the Eastern Corn Belt. I really like it. Excellent. Well, tell us about this idea of this yield pyramid. You mentioned all the trials that we do, and I know that for a large part of this, it was an outgrowth of those trials and trying to analyze some things when we get that sheer volume of data back. Talk to us a little bit about the idea of the yield pyramid and how we got to where we are in terms of developing it. Right, and this is story is interesting because it has a definite start date in November of 2017. Uh, We were at a meeting in Indianapolis talking about uh, what direction our agronomy trials wanted to take the next year. And Gary Brinkman, who is a name that uh, any listeners from Michigan will recognize, a longtime uh, pioneer agronomist, said, you know, we do so many plots and our sales reps put out so many plots. Is there something we could do just taking the data we have from those plots to begin with? and analyze it and be able to to make some more 
uh, some more conclusions about the best way to get an above average corn crop. And so this project really grew out of that. And it's something that leverages Pioneer's unique uh, uh, field trial scale. In uh, 2018, the first year that we did, uh, that, that we started this project, uh, we had over 6,500 corn plots across the United States. Uh, 2019, if you'll remember, that was the wet year when we had a lot of prevent plant. We only added 4,000 in there. And then in 2020 and 2021, we were back up to that five to 6,000 range. So we have got a huge plot set. And what we decided to do was just get a little bit more information about every one of those locations. Uh, so we took soil samples and got a full, uh, full uh, soil nutrient measurement. Um, and um, we uh, took a little better notes on management. We also uh, put out some weather sensors and I uh, got more information about, about the weather that was going on. And, and then obviously hybrid and yield data and all of that. So, so when it came down to it, we had just a massive data set to deal with. So we were talking, I, I, I counted up all the things that we took notes on in each plot and it ended up being over 1300 interactions per plot. And that was before you got to hybrid and yield and all of that. And so we knew this was a data set that we had to look at differently. It was just not, you know, hybrid A was better in, in, in plot number 23 than hybrid B. We needed to analyze this differently. And so we looked to uh, big data. And a lot of people have heard about, about big data, um, uh, information science, things like that. And, and we really hear a lot about it in the media right now, especially uh, in the medical field. Um, but what machine learning or big data really is, is it's just a fancy way of saying we were looking for patterns. So we were looking for patterns in those, in those corn plots that were similar um, among, uh, among soil types or environments or whatever. What were the similar patterns that led to above average corn yields? And with this giant data set that we had, and we actually went back and combed through our archives from 2014 on and got all the yield soils and data and, and weather and uh, management data that we could, we end up with a massive data set that really led to this uh, tool we're calling the Pioneer Yield Pyramid that divides the country up into about 10 zones where the, the factors for successful corn production are similar and started looking at what did those above average plots in those areas have in common. So Mary, talk, talk to us about maybe a couple of the zones that would be represented in Indiana. Some of those similarities and some of the differences maybe uh, in Eastern Indiana where I'm at, a lot of times those zones mimic other parts of the country uh, I've got very different soil types than say Carl does an exam as an example, uh, certainly as Ben, one of my favorite topics to talk to Ben about is all his reclamation ground. I, he doesn't understand why, but it's kind of interesting to me, but talk to us a little bit about the differences in those zones and then also the similarities. Okay. Um, so the zones there, there's three big zones in Indiana. And, and if you talk to your pioneer agronomist or your pioneer sales rep about this, um, they can show you some visuals on these zones that, that shows you a map. And we actually have it mapped out by county 
you know, what's, what's the most common zone in that county. And like I said earlier, I live on a farm in Northwest Indiana. So I know an entire county is not, is not just one zone. Sometimes we have fields that are more than one zone. Um, so, so really we've got some tools that can really hone in on your own farm and, and help you determine that a little bit better. Uh, but the three zones for Indiana um, would be the Eastern Corn Belt zone, the Northern Corn Belt, and then the Northern Sands. So that Eastern Corn Belt zone, which would cover a lot of Eastern Indiana, uh, Southern Indiana, uh, probably about, um, oh, around Muncie to Indianapolis and South um, is a lot of, of Eastern Indiana, or excuse me, of the Eastern Corn Zone. And those, that's the zone that, that's you know, good corn growing ground, highly productive, uh, probably our, our yield limiting effect is most often poor drainage. We can get droughty in the, in the grain fill season. Um, and also we're known for, for, for a, a, a hot grain fill and with the potential of warm nights. And that can be a, a yield limiting factor if you've got warm nights during grain fill. That Northern Corn Belt, which is a lot of kind of the, the, the Northwest quarter, not necessarily Northwestern Indiana, but about the Northwest quarter that uh, Carroll County to Tipton County, um, those really highly productive soils uh, are, are the Northern Corn Belt. And those are the, the, the very high yielding soils, naturally high fertility, uh, good, fairly good drainage, good uh, organic matter. Uh, the, the yield limiting step in these soils tends to be uh, stand establishment early. Since you've got a little bit looser soil, um, you may be more prone to, to uh, losing stand due to lodging or something like that. And one of the advantages that this zone seems to have is it doesn't seem to have that high humidity and, and uh, high temperature during, during uh, grain fill that the Eastern Corn Belt does. So it's a little bit less disease prone. So that's actually the highest yield potential uh, zone in the country. And then we also have the Northern Sands. Uh, you get up to where I live, get up around the Great Lakes, we've got uh, we, we've got a lot of sandier soil and, and that brings its own challenges and its own benefits. So drainage is not usually an issue that we have to deal with in the sands. Usually we can establish a stand really well, um, but obviously the problem is uh, keeping enough water on the crop late in the season if, if you're not irrigated. And irrigated sands need to be managed a little bit differently than unirrigated sands. Uh, but on those unirrigated sands, the, the decrease in humidity that we get in the crop canopy uh, does tend to lower disease incidence. Uh, if we get western bean cutworm, which is the, the, the northern, uh, nor, excuse me, northern sands are kind of a hotbed for western bean cutworm, you get damage that looks terrible, but usually the humidity is low enough that uh, it's not going to lead to uh, widespread ear rots and more damage unless we have a really um, high humidity year. We're learning with, the, with our irrigated sands that those can be managed for very high yield, but as we run those pivots across, and every time we run a pivot, we drop the temperature and increase the relative humidity, there's some disease concerns, especially with uh, the emergence of tar spot that we have to deal with. So 
like I said, if, uh, if you get together with your pioneer rep and you're, you're looking at a map that shows all these different zones, they're going to make a lot of sense. But what we found out was that there, these zones are, are kind of found in different parts of the country. And we found that a place that is in the same zone has more in common with another area that maybe is in a different state or is 100 miles away, but is in that same zone than with maybe a field, a county over that is in a completely different zone. Well, and Mary, I think your, your point is interesting. And maybe for folks that haven't, this is their first time hearing about the yield pyramid. You know, it wasn't just a bunch of agronomists sitting down and intuitively drawing, you know, lines on a map saying, yeah, these are the areas of the country that seem to have, you know, similar yield limiting factors. It was that you were talking about those 1300 interactions one can have in a single plot and expanding that out across the what amounts to you know over 10,000 plots over a number of years and saying all right machine learning algorithmic data processing go ahead and group these things into 10 different buckets and give me the best idea of who's the most similar and that's what the computer spit out into our you know very much trained eye as opposed to just what that what that uh, machine learning did, it comes out making an awful lot of sense. Like you said, in Northwest Indiana, um, you know, we've got a big difference between those highly producing black sands, um, you know, where if you have the center pivot on, we can reach 300 bushels to, um, you know, the, the poverty sands, where if we don't have that, that irrigator, you know, we're, we're aiming for 150 as a yield goal. And then as you move just a little bit further south, getting closer to that Highway 24 corridor, we start to pick up some more silt loams, uh, some more of that prairie soil, and that keeps on expanding out into, you know, northern Illinois and eastern Iowa. It, it all makes intuitive sense when you take a look at this map. So if uh, I can put it down on my to-do list to, to tweet out that map in, you know, with this episode, you guys take a look at it. Like uh, Mary was saying, it, it makes a lot of sense. And um, it's pretty cool that you can find stuff, uh, you know, that, that uh, maybe looks like Southern Illinois ground, uh, but it looks just like uh, what it looks like up in Schrader's area. You know, the, the drainage being a yield limiting factor, clay content being similar and trying to, trying to kind of figure out what's the best way to leverage this information. So the starting point was, group in those 10 buckets. And then once you identify which bucket is most representative of your area, how can we manage to optimize yields? Carl, I'm a little, I'm a little offended about your poverty sands comment that hits a little too close to home <laughs> down here. Um, but I think, I think you, you called it out very well and echoed what Mary said. I do have, you know, firsthand experience as we're starting to roll that out this winter, um, working with working with a grower, a prospect actually in this case, who has been involved in some high yield programs through some other groups. And he was, um, he was pretty excited to say the least when he got to the Eastern Corn Belt and that drainage was so high as a key yield limiting factor. Um, because in many instances, when you talk about, about improving yield, uh, even though it's counterintuitive, drainage does get does get overlooked there are a lot of folks doing that just that just can't imagine having an excess of water so i think that holds true across the zones that 
when you when you dig down into them they are they are very intuitive and as long as you don't get axle wrapped on what mary mentioned that we know yes we know that the whole county is not the same we know that across the whole field is not the same but within those 10 zones you should be able to find your home and have have a good roadmap for for improving yields across that Right. I think the other thing we need to point out to folks who maybe haven't seen this yet, Mary, you kind of alluded to this. There's essentially a pecking order, if you will, of the factors that influence the yield in these zones. And we can actually, maybe this is the next step for our discussion. We can actually help folks work through each of those things. Ben, like you said, we overlook drainage a lot of times, but in a number of these zones, drainage is one or two in terms of the pecking order of influencing yield. So, and so, Mary, maybe that's the next place to go here. Talk to us a little bit about that pecking order, those 1,300 different interactions that Carl mentioned and that you mentioned. How do we develop those pecking orders? Is it just purely the number of times that that influences our yield? Or how do we start to develop these things within the zone that help us understand uh, yield levels and how to manage within the zones? Right, Brian. So we looked at all of those different factors and looked at what factors had the most effect on yield. And so if you were looking at this um, very economically, especially in a year like this year where we've got a lot of high input costs, you know, what's the one thing you can do to really influence your yield? A lot of times it's a very basic thing. Um, uh, pH comes up an awful lot. I mean, we all know that in the background, but if that's not right, don't bother spending your money on anything else until you get the lime out there that you need. So, so a lot of it is common sense agronomy, but then we also uh, go deeper and uh, start looking at the, the, the soil nutrient ranges associated with the, with the bottom third of yields, uh, middle third of yields, and top third of yields so that we can give you some direction as you're, as you're looking at improving your yield goal. Um, but yeah, there, there's five, kind of five steps in this uh, yield pyramid for you to look at in terms of your yield goal and, and economically what you want to target. And I, I just wanna say one of the really cool things about this project is that it's, it's truly been a group effort by all of Pioneer Agronomy. Um, we have field agronomists like you who are out doing, um, doing experiments during the summer, um, getting biomass and getting tissue samples so that we can continue to refine this, but also all of your expertise. Um, so we've had lots of talks about how we should organize things on the pyramid and going back to Ben's comment about, about drainage being such a big issue. Um, do we look at something like putting in tile drainage, you know, is that at the base of your pyramid? Do you spend money on that before you do anything else since it is the overwhelming factor? Well, if, if it's ground that's yours or you agree with your landlord and you've got the capital to do that, maybe that is the number one thing to do. On the other hand, maybe that's more of a long-term consideration that that isn't gonna work out in 2022, but you gotta keep it in the back of your mind and okay, even if we don't put more tile out here, what are the other things that we can do to get the best yielding crop that we can, even, even without extra tile in the field? So Mary, you talk a little bit about, you know, breaking out these, um, you know, into three different segments of yield. And so if I'm a farmer and I'm, and I'm thinking through this concept of the yield pyramid, I've got these 10 different 
zones. And in theory, I probably farm one or two of those zones. And then what I should be doing next is taking a look at where my individual fields rank out at these, you know, with the yield buckets or kind of what my, my yield goals are, or is this on a field level? How, how, how should somebody kind of, you know, go through these five steps of, of how to leverage the yield pyramid? Right. I think that's exactly it, Carl. Your first step would be to look overall, what zone are your fields in? And then take a field by field look and assess what the yield potential is in that field. So, so we call our yield zones, you know, just one, two, three, four, and five. And, and zone one, level one is the, is the county average yield. Um, levels two, three, and four would correspond with our data sets. Uh, so most of this data was taken off of Pioneer PKP sets, the, 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 big, the big plots you see on the side of the road with the red and white signs on them. Um, our, our reps do an outstanding job managing those plots. So they do tend to be higher than county average. On, on average, they're about 20 bushels better than the USDA county average. So we separated those plots into the, the bottom third, the middle third, and the top third. And those correspond to levels two, three, and four, respectively. That level five is really the, the NCGA plots, the, the, the fields where you know what, things are just going right in that field and the sky's the limit. And where would you wanna put extra input dollars that you have to really push yields? That, that's what level five is. And you really wanna look at it at, at, on a field basis. Uh, I don't think that in, in my travels with farmers, I've come across any level one farmers. I, I know a lot of uh, level five farmers though that have some level one fields. They're the sandy fields that, you know, there's a problem to solve out there. They're just, they're a poorer soil and we can get an economic crop off of them even if it's not a super high yielding crop. So you wanna be honest about what your yield potential is right now and whether or not it has the potential to change. So if you've got that zone one field, maybe it's a brem sand and you just putting irrigation on it is, is not in the picture right now, and it's gonna average 150 bushel per acre, what are the things you should be doing so that you make money on that 150 bushel per acre field? On the other hand, if uh, maybe you have subsurface irrigation or maybe putting a pivot out there uh, is, is an option. What do you do to move from, from level one to level two or to level three or to level four um, in an economic way and, and knowing that, not, that a lot of these things aren't going to be one-year fixes, but this is going to be a process over time to bring up the fields that do have potential to get to a higher level. And again, I, I have to say that if this I love being on your podcast, but this is a tough topic to talk about on a podcast because there's so many visuals with this. So I really would urge people to, to get with, with you guys as their agronomist or with their pioneer sales rep and, and see how this pyramid is laid out from the base to the top. Yeah, and I, I would I want to reiterate, Mary, this is about moving folks up the pyramid to higher levels. The first step is classifying 
what's going on in your field. And that's really what we've spoke about today. I think when we have you back, we want to talk about how we move up, follow these steps and move that up. But I don't want anybody to leave the podcast today thinking that, well, I'm in group one or I'm in group two, or maybe you are in group five. There's still some room for improvement. We can always increase yields. So I want folks to recognize that what we're talking about is moving you up in layer or levels of um, production. We want everybody, if they're able to in those farms, to get to level five. Now, you wisely pointed out we may not be able to get there uh, because of some limiting factors, but our goal is to move folks up if we can uh, through careful management and some considerations. Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. All right. Yeah. Well, oh, go ahead, Carl. I was just going to say for folks, you know, stay tuned for next week because, uh, you know, this whole concept, the idea is that we're prioritizing, um, you know, those different levers you can pull to, to reach for that next level of yield. And so uh, in light of high fertility prices, maybe we're going to find out that you're, you're already at an adequate soil fertility level, but there's room for improvement on some other things that maybe we haven't taken a look at. And so I think next week's uh Next week episode is something to look forward to, and we'll we'll put some more teeth to this kind of um, cerebral conversation we're having right now. Absolutely, and I think maybe that's probably the best place for us to stop for this week. Mary will be back with us next week to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, Mary, if somebody heard something today and they wanted to get a hold of you and visit a little bit about something around the yield pyramid, how could they get a hold of you if they just can't wait to hear the conclusion of our conversation next week? Um. Free to email me, mary.gums at corteva.com. I'm also pretty active on Twitter at, at Dr. Gums. So feel free to message me or call me out on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you very much. Carl, how about you? How can folks get a hold of you? If you want to see what's happening in Mary's backyard of Northwest Indiana, that is at Cjorn on Twitter. All right. And Ben, how about you? Yep, you can find me on Twitter as well at the Ben Jacob or on Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. All right. And you can find me at BK Schrader on Twitter or B underscore K underscore Schrader on Instagram. And so with that, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this introductory look at the Pioneer Yield Pyramid. I hope that you'll be back next week to hear the conclusion of our discussion. I think you're going to find a lot of valuable information and in how we can try to move you up that yield pyramid uh, as we look at some of these management considerations. With that, we'll call it an end to the episode. Thank you very much for joining us for the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.